You know, there are a few verses in the Bible that it seems like everybody knows. And whether people inside the church or outside the church, everybody knows a few verses of Scripture, and they like to use them to their own advantage. For instance, uh, you will remember in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Boy, that's one verse that seems like everybody knows, right? And they know exactly when to use it to their best advantage, right? And then there's another verse kind of like that. In fact, it's just after that, the next few verses after that in Matthew, where it says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? First, take care of the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take care of the speck in your brother's eye. And boy, it just seems like a lot of people know that verse and that concept, and they like to bring that up uh, when it is most advantageous to them. Well, there is another verse also that is a well-known verse. Everybody seems to know it and seems to quote it every now and then. And that is a verse in John that says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, right? Maybe there is a court case, and uh, there is a prosecutor and a defendant and a judge and a jury, and there's a big dispute about the facts, and then finally there is a decision, and somebody comes out of the courthouse, down the courthouse steps, down to where all the microphones and the cameras are, and they're victorious, and they raise their hands, and they say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Right? People seem to know when to use that verse at the best possible time for them. Well, that's just great. You know, that is right from the lips of Jesus. Jesus actually said that, and it is really, really, really true. But if you only take that one sentence, it's true, but it's also incomplete. And so do you know the verse that comes right before that? Don't raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what did Jesus say right before that? I'll read it to you, and then then we'll turn to it. It says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and then... You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is in John chapter 8, and you can turn there. Verses 30 and 31, uh, 30, 31, 32, we're going to be kind of in that section right there. And while you're turning there, I have to say a great big thank you to Ravi Zacharias. He is the one that actually kind of put this... this, uh, message in my mind. I really appreciate listening to Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if you know who he is or not. Uh, You can punch up his name on YouTube and see uh, a lot of his stuff or else punch up RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And uh, he is just, he is an apologist. He goes around the world explaining why the gospel is true and that the Christian faith is sound and believable and trustworthy faith. And I have heard hundreds of his messages, and a couple months ago, uh, I was listening to one of his messages, and he just brought 
drop that out just in passing you know everybody knows this first but do you know what comes right in front of it and it was just a small point of a larger message that he was talking about and but that just stuck in my mind you know and so uh, I thought to myself you know if I ever get a chance to speak again I think I want to preach on those verses and so when Pastor Kent came and asked me if I wanted to fill in for him I said yes and I already know what I'm going to say too <laughs> right I was ready for it so anyway uh, so John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So everything that we're going to say today is going to be connected to this one short little sentence that says this, the prerequisite for truth and freedom is abiding and discipleship. The prerequisite for truth and freedom is abiding and discipleship. Well, in order to understand the context of, of what is going on here and what, who Jesus is talking to and where he is when he says it, you actually have to go all the way back to John chapter 7, the beginning of John chapter 7. And you'll see in verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And so Jesus' brothers said to him in verse 3, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, they said, Depart from here, go up to Jerusalem, and preach up in Jerusalem because they were in Galilee at the time. And so they said, look, if you want a crowd to preach to, if you want everybody to hear your message, go to Jerusalem and preach up there because the whole nation of Israel was going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they said, go up there. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go up there yet. You guys go up there. And so they did. They left and went to Jerusalem and uh, uh, then it says that later on, privately and secretly, Jesus went up to Jerusalem as well. And then about halfway through the feast, he actually did stand up in the temple and start preaching and speaking. But Jesus was the big subject of the week. Everyone was talking about Jesus. People said, uh, do you think that he's going to come to the feast? And people wondered about him. They talked about him. Some people said, uh, he is good. Other people said, no, on the contrary, he deceives all of the people. And so there was uh, dispute and confusion about Jesus, but all of it was being kind of quiet. Uh, nobody talked about Jesus openly in front of the Jewish leaders because they knew that the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. And so in John chapter 7, um, verse 25, Jesus actually stands up in the temple and he does start preaching. And in verse 25, it says, Now some of them from Jerusalem says, Is this not who, the one whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. And this is kind of interesting because if you keep reading down to verse 40, and in my Bible, uh, the way it's printed, they're almost right across the, the columns from each other. So they said, um, when the Christ comes, we don't know where he is from. 
But then in verse 40, it says, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? <laughs> so you've got confusion right here in the text. Some people said, when the Christ comes, we don't know where he's from. And then other people later on said, when the Christ comes, we know that he, he was born in Bethlehem. He's of the seed of David. And there was a, a lot of confusion. Of course, you and I know that it was all true. Jesus was from Nazareth and he was from Galilee, but at the same time, he had been born in Bethlehem and he was the seed of David, the rightful king. And so, uh, but these people were very confused about it. Well, if you look at verse 37 in chapter 7, verse 37, the last, look at what it says. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, and that's, that's a great statement that we remember from Jesus. Well, this past week, just this past week, over in Israel, guess what they are celebrating right now over in Israel? It is the Feast of Tabernacles, exactly what we're talking about here. And it ends today. This is the last day. So when you read in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up, that is today, exactly today, all those years ago. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so, uh, one of the things that they would do, the high priest would come out of the temple and he would come down to uh, the pool of Siloam and they had a ceremony where he would dip up a bunch of water and I don't know exactly what all the ceremony entailed, but part of it was that he would pour that water out before the Lord. And that's the moment when Jesus stepped up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That was today, many, many, many years ago. Uh, anyway, so then um, they continue on. The Pharisees debate with Jesus. Nicodemus stands up for Jesus. The same Nicodemus is from John chapter 3. In uh, the beginning of chapter 8, you have the story of the woman caught in adultery, and you remember that. They brought her to Jesus and said, what should we do with her? Then if you look in verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And verse 13 kind of helps us with our context some more. It says, The, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And so for the rest of this chapter, it is a debate and a discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees about whether he really is true, whether he really has the right to judge, whether he really is the son of his father, who he is claiming to be, uh, the, the son of God. And there is this debate and discussion all the way through. So when you get to verse 28, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he 
and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do these things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. And so you have Jesus and a whole bunch of people, the, the, the temple area and the city of Jerusalem is filled with Jewish people there to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and you have a different variety of people. The Pharisees hate him, some people are confused about him, other people don't know what in the world to think about him, but it says here that some people believed him. And that's where we come now again to verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, remember that today we are saying that the prerequisite for truth and freedom is abiding and discipleship. Do you want freedom? Well, then you need truth. Do you want truth? Well, then that requires abiding and discipleship, abiding in his word. Abiding and discipleship bring truth and then bring freedom. So, you know, uh, today as there are, we could have four different messages on abiding and discipleship and truth and freedom, and there is so much that we could talk about today, and um, we're really just going to skip across the top of all of this, okay? Kind of like a jet ski out on the waves of a lake, all right? We're just going to go shushing through it as fast as we can. So I will try to talk fast, and you try to listen fast, and we'll get through uh, what we have to say here. First of all, let's think about the battle over the truth. The battle over truth. Ever since the beginning, this has been the biggest, the greatest, and the main battle of all time, the battle over truth. It occurred to me this week, and you can go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 if you want to and check up on this, but it occurred to me this week, and I went back and scanned all of that, the first time you ever see a question mark in the Bible, <laughs> where is that? When the serpent, has God really said, you shall not eat of every tree? The first question was challenging the truth of God. And then down through uh, all of the, the history of Scripture and the history of the world, uh, it has been a battle over truth. And you can pick out some illustrations of this maybe at different times. Think about 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah and the prophets of Baal were on Mount Carmel and they say, which God is true? Is Baal true or is the God of Israel uh, the, the real true God? And there was that battle. Who's right? Who's real? Who's true? In Jeremiah chapters 28 and 29, Jeremiah was God's prophet, and uh, the children of Israel were about to go into captivity into Babylon. And there was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah, the son of Azur. And Hananiah told all the people, he said, Look, folks, this is not going to be any problem. We're going to go to Babylon, but it's only going to be a couple of years, and then we're going to be, we're going to be right back here. We're going to come home in a couple of years.
said, God is going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and we will all be able to come home. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. And in fact, he actually broke a yoke uh, for an illustration there, a wooden yoke. He went and broke this wooden yoke. And then God comes to Jeremiah and he says, go tell Hananiah, you broke that wooden yoke and you're a lying prophet. He says, because you broke that wooden yoke, I'm going to put yokes of iron on you. And he said, in less than a year, Hananiah, you are going to die. And that is exactly what happened. In the seventh month, Hananiah tipped over dead, and he was done. And Jeremiah told the people, he said, we are going to go to, Jeremiah didn't go, the rest of the people did. He said, you are going to go into captivity, but it's going to be 70 years. And so God says this, God says, build houses, plant gardens, plant vineyards, get comfortable, pray for the peace of Babylon, because in the peace of Babylon, then, you will have peace. And it all happened, just like Jeremiah said, because Jeremiah had the truth of God's word. Well, then Jesus steps onto the scene. Uh, John chapter, the Gospel of John chapter 1, one of my favorite uh, passages. John chapter 1, verse 9, John calls Jesus the true light that gives light unto all the world. In verse 12, it says, We beheld his glory, um, that of uh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter 14, on that night that Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, shortly before he was arrested, he said very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just a few hours later, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for his disciples and praying for us as well. And he said, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. And then a few hours after that, Jesus was facing Pilate, and I'm going to turn to John chapter 18 and read uh, a few verses. John chapter 18, starting in verse 33, it says, Pilate entered the praetorium and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said that, he went back out and told the people, I find no fault in him. It's amazing. It's one of the... One of the most fascinating moments in um, the Easter story when Pilate is looking 
in the eyes of the person who is the truth looked right at him in the eyes and couldn't recognize it and said what is truth right Pilate was between a rock and a hard spot so to speak he was charged with keeping the peace in this dusty unimportant little corner of the Roman Empire and so he thought that he was about to have a major riot on his hands and so in order to keep the peace for that day he was willing to have crucified the Prince of Peace right well um, just this past week Dr. Tony Evans has been uh, preaching through a series on Ephesians chapter 6 and spiritual warfare. My wife and I were watching that, and he was on a message about the belt of truth, and so he defined truth. And so I just wrote it all down. And so here is, our subject is truth today, part of it. And so I wrote down the definition of truth from Dr. Tony Evans, and, and this is what he says. Truth is an objective standard by which reality is measured. Okay, it's objective. It's not subjective. Subjective is, some, is, is an opinion, right? Do you like the color of the carpet? Well, maybe yes and maybe no. That's subject to your opinion. But truth is an objective standard by which reality is measured and all things must conform to it. Truth is that which is real because it came from the beginning, that is, its origin. And since God is the originator of all, then only he can be the fixed standard of what is true. Okay? God is the originator of all, only he can be the fixed standard of what is true. And then... Tony Evans said this, and I just love this. this. This is the best part of it. There is no one behind God that we can go to to check on God. <laughs> Isn't that great? God is the final authority. If I have a problem with my kid at school, I can go to the teacher. And if I don't get it resolved the way I like, then there's somebody else I can go to behind that, and that's the principal. And if I don't get it resolved the way I like, there's somebody else I can go to, and that's the school board. And if I still don't get it resolved the way I like, I can go to all of the community, and I can say, let's vote out the school board, because there's somebody even behind them that is giving them their authority, right? But when you get to God, there is nobody behind God that you can go to to check up on God. He is the final authority. A secular humanist would say that there is no clear standard of morality or truth or whatever subject you want to talk about, and so they will say, do what is right for you. And so you realize that what they do when they do that is that they put themselves as that person that is behind God, <laughs> that checks up on God, right? But in reality, that really, really won't work. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter Carrie and I were at a garage sale, and I didn't buy anything. 
which is the best policy when you go to a garage sale. All right. I don't know why, why buy someone else's junk. But uh, I was there at the garage sale because I am weak. But uh, Carrie and I were there, and this garage sale had lots and lots of books, just tons of books. And I love books, but I was looking at all these titles, just going down the row of all of these titles and reading them, and my eyes hit on this book, and the book was called The Truth. I thought, wow, that's cool, The Truth. And then I saw who the author was, and uh, it, the author was an outspoken, controversial, homosexual politician. <laughs> and I just had to sort of giggle and think, I wonder how much truth I'm going to find in a book called The Truth written by that guy. Right? Uh, God's standard is uh, the, the complete standard of truth. Finally, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, you will remember when John is describing the end of time. And there is a moment when he, John says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. So what we find out in the end is that truth is not a concept. Truth is not even a fact. But truth is a person. And all facts need to align themselves with that person or else they're just not true. <clears throat> well, Jesus said that truth is going to lead us to freedom and away from bondage. Second of all, for just a couple of moments, I want to look at um, the people that Jesus was talking to and debating with the Pharisees. Look at their denial of bondage. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, that statement is just laughable. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. They're forgetting their whole history. I don't know which guy said this, but um, think oh, back, the nation started, uh, it grew in, for hundreds of years in bondage in the land of Egypt. And they were freed from Egypt, and then as they moved into the promised land, and in the book of Judges, if you read through there, what you see is over and over again, uh, the people from the surrounding areas would come in and subjugate the nation or different parts of the nation. That's why, remember the story of Gideon who was hiding from the Midianites? It's because the Midianites had them uh, under bondage. And God used Gideon to free the people from the Midianites. Later also then you have Samson who was fighting the Philistines because the Philistines uh, were subjugating the people. And so all through the book of Judges there is this cycle of of freedom and then bondage and then freedom and then bondage and the judges would come and, and uh, set them free at different times. Later on then, after they, there became a, 
a nation with kings. There was King Saul and King David and King Solomon. And then the nation split into two different countries. Uh, the, the northern ten tribes were still called Israel. The southern two tribes were called Judah. In 721 B.C., Israel went into captivity with Assyria. And in 586 B.C., the nation of Judah went into captivity in Babylon. They Captivity, they had, their history is filled with bondage. Between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew is 400 years, and we call those the 400 silent years because there was never any scripture written during that time. But we know from history that that time also uh, Israel was under bondage uh, a lot. Uh, one of the most well-known times is uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered the whole entire world and he conquered Israel. And that is why uh, the Old Testament is originally written all in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek because Alexander the Great demanded that the whole world learn Greek. By the time of Jesus, that's what they were speaking. That's what they were writing. It was Greek. And even on this day that Jesus was talking to the disciples, they were under bondage to Rome, right? Jesus lived and died his whole entire life in his homeland that was under the heel and under the power of a foreign nation. Um, <clears throat> and so for them to say, we are Abraham's descendants, we have never been in bondage, they were missing the point. But Jesus is really talking about personal slavery, personal bondage, personal sin. The Pharisees were saying, bondage? What? Not us. Jesus says, you're in bondage and you don't even know it. Another word that you can use for uh, bondage or slavery, a synonym, is the word stronghold. A spiritual stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on you. Anything that shouldn't have a stronghold on you, but it does, that is a spiritual stronghold. And so someone might say, I don't have any anger problem. I just, you know, I came from a family of hotheads and this, I'm just expressing myself. <laughs> like, no, you have got an anger problem. You have a stronghold of anger in your life. Someone else might say, you know, I'm not gossiping. I am sharing prayer requests. No, you have got a stronghold of gossiping in your life and you need to admit it and go to God and take care of it. There are other things that bring bondage, the, the addictions that, that we can think about, different habitual sins, but all sin eventually does the same thing and that is that sin draws us away from God and creates habits that enslave us until we can't even tell the way back. And without God's grace to bring us back, we wouldn't even want to come back. But God is gracious. So there is an enslaving power to sin. The world certainly lies under the enslaving power of the wicked one, but sin is powerful also in the lives of believers as well. And it takes abiding in his word, discipleship, and truth to set us free 
and to keep us free. So we've talked about truth and bondage. Jesus says the only way to have truth and freedom is through abiding and discipleship. Abiding and discipleship are not exactly the same thing, but uh, they are very closely connected, and so we're going to consider them uh, together for just a couple of moments. Discipleship is being a follower, being a learner. When Jesus said, come follow me, it was because he had so much to teach them, right? Put down your fishing nets and come follow me. I'm going to teach you. Matthew, leave the tax business and come follow me. I have so much to teach you. When Jesus says in Matthew 11:29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, it means become my disciple. That's discipleship. Abiding is dependence. It is trust and connectedness. And so right now we could pause this message and we could go to John chapter 15 and we could have a whole other message on uh, abiding in Christ. Uh, but instead we'll just read one verse from John chapter 15 and verse 5 says this. Uh, you, you probably know it well. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing and so as a branch receives all of its nutrients all of its minerals in the water from the vine or the root so we receive all of our spiritual nutrients from him and if you're not spiritually abiding in him then you are starving and becoming dehydrated when Jesus says, my word, he says in verse 31, if you abide in my word. Well, what does he mean by my word? Well, certainly he means all of the red words. I've always had a red letter edition of the Bible, and I really love that. Um, so he certainly means all of the red words in the New Testament and in the Gospels, all of the things that he said. That's definitely what he means. But there is more to it than that we can encapsulate in the word of God. Remember, at creation, the creative power of God's spoken word, when he said, let there be light, and there was light, right? I believe in the Big Bang. God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light, right? Uh, the creative power of God's spoken word. Then there's God's spoken promises. He made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to other people, and so his spoken promises where they heard the word of God. Then there were the prophets where God spoke to the prophets and the prophets spoke to the people and said, thus saith the Lord. And sometimes they said it verbally and sometimes they wrote it down, but all of that was the word of God and much of it we have recorded for us now in the Old Testament. Then we have Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word and the word was God the word was with God and the word was God. He is the total and complete manifestation and expression of everything that is God and everything that is true. And then finally, we have scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament and now we have it brought together. We live in such a privileged time where we can have the Bible in our hands and here is 
the word of God, right? Now, God is finished with creation. That was completed a long time ago. His verbal spoken promises are done. Uh, He's done talking to Abraham and all of those guys. Uh, The prophets are done speaking and recording. Jesus was here, and then he left this earth. He has been resurrected and ascended to heaven. And so all of those things are, uh, are done, and we are left with this word as the word of God. And so when Jesus says, abide in my word, for us that means all of the red letters in the New Testament and in the Gospels and everything else from Genesis to Revelation Abide in God's word. It is the Bible. One other word that uh, that goes um, that is closely connected with discipleship and abiding is the word obedience. Okay, abiding and discipleship. This word really links them together, and that is the word obedience. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Right? There's a, there's a disconnect there. And then he continues on and he says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes on and he gives the parable of the two houses, one built on solid rock and one built on sand. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? but you don't do what I say. Part of abiding and discipleship is obedience. And so it turns out that if you're going to boil down abiding and discipleship, it comes down to two words. You've heard them before. Trust and obey. Right? And there we go. And so we have these words of dependence, that's part of abiding, connectedness, that's part of abiding, learning, and then living it out. And so finally, in conclusion, we want to wrap this up. I want to just close with a couple of personal illustrations that really, you know, this is how some of this has worked out in my own life. When I was a little kid, I accidentally uh, memorized a Bible verse. How do you accidentally memorize a Bible verse? Well, I lived in Summit County. We went to church in Frisco, Rocky Mountain Bible Church, and in the summer we would have VBS, and Mom would take all of us boys to VBS. She was usually in charge of it or had some big part of it uh, to lead herself. But uh, when you live, you know, 25 miles, or took 20, 20 or 25 minutes to get into town, when do you memorize your VBS verses? It's in the car on the way to town, right? And I don't know what verse it was that I was supposed to memorize, but my brother, my older brother Greg, he had to memorize a verse in Philippians. And uh, <coughs> being, being a, a slow learner, he, he said that, all right, he just memorized got on the way to town in the car, and he's trying to do this verse over and over again, trying to do this verse over and over again. And I ended up accidentally memorizing Philippians 4.8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report, 
if there is anything virtuous, if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things, right? And so thanks to that, my brother trying to learn a Bible verse, God has been convicting me my whole entire life. Because God has just used that to challenge me and to uh, convict me and say, you know what, is this pure? Really, is, is, is this really good? Are you really abiding right now? Is this something that is praiseworthy? And that's all wrapped up in what we're talking about, about a discipleship and abiding. There's another verse that just needles me every time I hear it, and that is the verse in James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Be ye doers of the word, and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Like deceiving myself. I don't deceive myself. No. No, that's what it says. If you do not obey, if you are not a doer of what you know, you are actually, you're deceiving yourself, right? It is so easy for me to be a hearer. I'm a great hearer, right? Don't ask my wife about that, right? Don't, don't, she might say no, right? But the other day, my wife said to me, she said, uh, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I said, well, that's a funny way to start a conversation. <laughs> she says, I don't listen. I used to hang on her every word, you know. But, um, to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. It is so easy to be a hearer. Uh, in this world we have, we live in such a privileged time where we have so many, um, you know, I listen to the radio every day. I can hear Dr. Jeremiah, Dr. Stanley, all these good guys. And uh, I hear all of this stuff. And when do I get a chance to put it into practice? Well, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you want freedom? Freedom comes from God's truth. Um, when we understand and when it is assimilated into us, we experience God's truth when we trust and obey, when we abide and be his disciples. Father, we thank you for your word today. We remember you. Uh, the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 that says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we pray that you would uplift us today, encourage us, remind us to be in your word, remind us what it means to abide, what it means to be disciples, so that we really truly can have truth and freedom. And we thank you ahead of time for all of these good things. In Jesus' name.